Our scripture comes from uh, our memory verse. It's the same, same one we're doing today. It's Acts 2.42. So let's once again hear this verse uh, and hear God's word for us today. It says this, And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and the prayers. Amen. You can be seated. Let's pray together. Father, thank you for the chance now to come before your word. Lord, we recognize uh, the gift it is to start off a new year uh, here together with our church family and here before your word. God, we confess uh, over the last year uh, ways we have neglected uh, being before your word. And God, we come um, grateful for your mercy that is still all the more. God, thank you that you have given us once again the chance to come before uh, your scripture and allow your spirit to speak into our lives. God, may the same spirit who raised Christ from the dead be alive and active in our own hearts today so that we may um, experience you and know you through your word. And Lord, may you continue that through this year. May we be people who are faithful before your word. May, may we be people of the book. May you continue to, to speak your word into our lives day by day by the power of your Holy Spirit. Bless the time we have before your word, even now. In Christ's name I pray. Amen. Amen. Well, the new year is a time usually of resolutions and uh, new commitments and uh, kind of reflecting on the past year, what's gone well, what you still want to improve on, those kind of things. At least so our culture says. Uh, there's not a, a, an example of New Year's resolutions, so to speak, in the Bible. However, there are times of, of biblical um, uh, kind of covenantal renewals, a time of rededication uh, frequently throughout the Bible. So I do think the idea uh, of a resolution, a New Year's new start, is, uh, can be redeemed to be a biblical idea. So I want to ask you uh, this year, what is your focus going to be on? Or maybe the better way to start would be to reflect backwards over the last year, what, what have you really focused your heart and mind and energy and passion toward? Or, or another way to ask that is, over the last year, what have you been devoted to? What have you been devoted to? Now, certainly there are many, many parts of our lives that we don't really get to pick exactly how our time is spent. Kids, you know, have to be taken care of and run to different places, and your job requires you to show up at certain hours. So we don't always have a total freedom over over all the things that we do in life, of course, but, but our mind, our energy, our passion, the things that we care about, what have you been devoted to? And in the year ahead, what will you be devoted to? What will be your focus? What, what are you going to be passionate about? What are you going to be pursuing day by day? If you picture this time next year, 2024, and look back on 2023, and you look back on how you spent your energy, what you tried to accomplish, what you focused on, what will it be? What will you have been passionate about? Maybe you are really passionate and devoted to your job, that it's not just a, a place you punch a clock, but that you, you pour into and you invest in. And that can be a really good thing. Maybe your family, as you think about as your kids are growing up, or maybe grown kids and grandkids, and you think about uh, all the ways you can invest in them, that's something you want to be devoted to in 2023. Maybe you've got some hobbies or interests or uh, things you like to do. Maybe you've, you're a, 
a house project guy or a landscape type person, or you got homeschool kids, or you're focused on diet and exercise, or you, you follow the latest political trends or global issues or, or whatever else it may be, you may have all kinds of things, good, bad, or otherwise, that you are interested in being devoted to in 2023. Now, I want to put before you one verse to help shape what you are devoted to in 2023. There are plenty of good things to do, but I think there is a, 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 a higher priority when it comes to the Lord. Are you devoted to the Lord? Our memory verse for this month comes out of the book of Acts. One of the earliest reports of the early church, what the, one of the first kind of descriptions of, of the way they lived and what they did, comes from this verse, from Acts 2.42, where it says that they devoted themselves to four things, the apostles' teaching, fellowship, the breaking of bread, and prayer. That's what they were devoted to. My question is, are we devoted to those kinds of things? Is that what our mind, our energy, our passion goes to? Are we devoted to the things of the Lord? Or are we far more interested in the things of the world? It's worth putting this verse in context for just a second. If you've read the book, of Acts. We're not very far into it as of Acts 2.42. Acts 2 is the day of Pentecost when the Holy Spirit comes on the disciples. They preach the gospel in languages that are understood by people from all different parts of the world. And then Peter stands up and gives one sermon to the whole group. And it's this, this watershed moment for the early church where thousands of people come to know the Lord. As he, as he goes through that message, he quotes back David's words back from Psalm 16 that were about the prophesying, foretelling of the resurrection. How all those who, who believed in the Lord, who loved the Lord, would not be devoted to destruction or abandoned to the grave. That they would have life. It's a picture of resurrection. Verse 23 in, in Acts 2, Peter had said this was all according to the definite plan and foreknowledge of God. That Jesus was delivered up on the cross to pay for our sins as God had intended and then it was impossible for death to hold him. And so he proclaims the resurrection and the good news. And people, it says that they're cut to the heart and they say, what, what are we supposed to do now, Peter? What, what are we supposed to do? We hear your good news. We hear the message. And Peter responded that they should repent, be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of their sins and to receive the Holy Spirit. That's what just happened. And the very next verse says they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, to the breaking of bread, to, to fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and to prayer. You see, what we have here is that people who are indwelled by the Holy Spirit, people who have believed in the gospel, and God's Spirit has come to live in them, it changes what they're devoted to. So if you know the Lord, if the same Spirit is in you who was in these disciples, the same Spirit who raised Christ from the dead, it changes what you are devoted to. You may be lukewarm, you may have been a little bit um, kind of apathetic about things of the Lord in the last year, but if the Spirit is truly in you, then it changes what you are passionate about. It changes what you are devoted to. So my challenge for you, if you do already know the Lord, is that if the Spirit's in you, that you would allow God's Spirit to direct you, to, to focus you on what matters most. Of course, if you do not have the Spirit of God in you, meaning you are not a Christian, then the challenge will look a little different for you today. The challenge for you is to go back before verse 2, 42 
in Acts 2 and receive the good news. To believe in Jesus for the forgiveness of your sins. That salvation would come to you as you recognize that Christ has paid your debt on the cross and He has defeated sin and the grave forever. And that you can have new life in Him and then you will receive the Holy Spirit. And then that same Spirit will direct your passions, your interests, the things that you care most about. If you have that Spirit, I, 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 I encourage you, I challenge you to be devoted to the things of the Lord. Because really these, these four things, these four aspects are really grouped together in, in just that they are people who are devoted to God. They're devoted to Jesus Christ. And when they're devoted to Him, this is the thing, this is what it looks like in their lives. I pulled out this one verse for us today on New Year's Day because as, as one commentator noted, this is a compact description of Christian discipleship. This is what it looks like to be the church. These kinds of activities, this kind of passion, this kind of devotion is, is characteristic of the church no matter what culture, whatever time, whatever place, whatever language, these are the kinds of things the church is passionate about, the kind of actions you see in the church. And so this is a good place for us as we start the new year. This one verse gives us kind of essential elements of what it means to be the church and to be His disciples. So simple enough, my, my four-point outline in your bulletin and on the screen today is just the four points out of this one verse. So the first is this, be devoted to the Word. Be devoted to the Word. Acts 42.42 begins this way, And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. The first generations of Christians, the very first church, they were listening to the people who had been following Jesus during His life. So this, this right here, this verse comes right after Peter, one of the main disciples, one of the main apostles, one of the main people who followed Jesus after he was preaching. And so they continued following people like Peter and James and John to hear as they proclaimed this good news. They devoted themselves to making sure they heard the words of Jesus through his disciples, those 12 people that were following him around. Those people, they're proclaiming the good news and these people are devoted themselves to that teaching. You say, well, wow, wouldn't it have been cool to live back during the first century, to hear from Peter himself about what it was like to, to know Jesus. Wouldn't that be amazing to know John, the one who leaned against him at the, the Last Supper, and, and to hear how John described Jesus? Wouldn't that be amazing to be able to sit under the apostles' teachings? I've got good news for you. You can. <laughs> it's right here. They wrote it down. You can hear Peter's sermon too. We just read part of it. Peter went on to write multiple letters that are recorded for us. We get the apostles' teaching in the New Testament. And they many times are quoting the same Old Testament that you and I get to read as well. Peter, speaking of Peter, is probably behind the Gospel of Mark. Mark was one of the, we see his name show up in the book of Acts as somebody who's following around these disciples. And the best, our best understanding of the gospel of Mark is that it was Mark had gotten to know Peter well. Peter described Jesus's life and Mark's the one that recorded. And Lord willing, that's probably where we're going to go for the, in the, into, the, into the new year is we're going to study into the gospel of Mark. We, we get to sit under the apostles' teachings too by opening the word of God. Be devoted to the word of God. The Damascus road for Paul is where he got to meet Jesus 
and the most, he didn't write the most words of the New Testament, but the most number of books in the New Testament come from Paul, who's also one of the apostles. And so we have his letters here. Some of the deepest theology comes out of those letters. So in many ways, we have a better grasp of the apostles' teaching than the people did in Acts chapter 2, because it wasn't written down yet. And so we have plenty of, plenty of, of sources here of the apostles' teaching. They were devoted to the apostles' teaching. The question is, are we? We have it all written down for us, but are we devoted to it? Probably if we are not, it's because we don't fully grasp, and none of us do, uh, of course, but we don't fully grasp how great God's Word truly is. If we knew how great of a book this was, and, and the Spirit of God is inside of us, then there would be no other way to live than to be devoted to it. Psalm 19 describes the law of the Lord as perfect. The rules of the Lord are true and righteous. What do we long for except for truth, for holiness, for righteousness? Psalm 19 says it's more to be desired than gold, even much fine gold, sweeter also than honey and the drippings of the honeycomb. How much of our life do we spend, do we spend chasing after wealth like gold? How much of our life do we spend chasing after things that are a delight to us like honey to the tongue? So is the Word of God, richer than any riches of, of gold, more of a delight than any honeycomb. Psalm 119, the way of your testimonies I delight in as much as all riches. I will meditate on your precepts and fix my eyes on your ways. I will delight in and your statutes, and I will not forget your word. Is it a delight to us? Is God's word a joy and a privilege to us? Do we meditate on it, think about it, consider it, ponder the word of God? I know the, one of the 930 Bible study classes is going to study Ezra and Nehemiah. Ezra chapter 7, we meet the prophet. It says that Ezra set his heart, set his heart to study the law of the Lord and to do it and to teach his statutes and rules in Israel. What is your heart set on? I like that phrase. What is your heart focused on? What do you, what do you, what do you have your mind and your passion and your energy? What is it you're, you're, you're pondering over, working on, considering how to work it out? What are you set on? Are you set on the word of God? Jeremiah 9, the Lord says, says to the prophet, Let not the wise man boast in his wisdom. Let not the mighty man boast in his might. Let not the rich man boast in his riches. But let him who boasts boast in this, that he understands and knows me. How do you know, the, how do you know God? Through his word. This is how you know the Lord. It's through the word. Do you know the Lord? Do you know the ways that He has described Himself? Pick up the book and read. Take it up and read. Let's, let's get really practical. It's New Year's. Let's think, like, how is this really going to happen for us? Well, I, I can be honest, we can all be honest, that unless we make a plan, it's probably not going to happen. If we don't have a plan, it probably won't happen. So make a plan. When and where are you going to read the Bible? What time? What time of day? Where is it going to happen? Make a plan, a time and a place. And what are you going to read? Many people like to read a devotional. There's nothing wrong with devotionals. But let me encourage you not to be stuck just giving, being one step removed from the Bible or somebody else tells you what the Bible says. Take up the Bible. Take up the Bible. Read the Bible. When you open the Bible, where are you going to go? Just let it, put it in front of a fan and just kind of let it land somewhere? God is powerful and He can direct you. But this is a book, a collection of books 
written in a certain way, in a certain time, certain place. So like any book, it's good to start at the beginning. So you got 66 choices. It's a good idea. It's a regular practice to be working your way through books of the Bible. Read them start to the end. You can study certain topics and that kind of thing, but make a plan, read books. More, more often than not, read books start to finish. What, how much are you going to read? Are you going to read the whole book in a year? It's a very common practice, a good one I, I commend to you, to do it just cover to cover, do it chronologically or selections from the Old and New Testament. See if you can read the whole thing in a year. It's a good practice. Or one of the most common plans I recommend to people is that there are 260 chapters in the New Testament. That math works out to if you read one chapter of the New Testament a day for five days a week, five times 52 is 260. You'll read the whole New Testament in one year if you just do five chapters a week. I'm going to try something a little bit different where I'm going to take a, a certain portion of my year and try to read a whole lot of chapters a day. Big portions, cover big view. And then I'm going to take other parts of my year and slow down and study something in depth. Kind of take a breadth sometimes and a depth at other times. It's good and helpful to do both at different times. You can change up the pace, but either way, make a plan. Be in the Word. Be devoted to it. Find a way that you can be in the regular habit of coming to the Word of God. If you don't have a plan for it, you probably won't do it. And I'll, let me push us one other way. Let's memorize it. Let's start to put this in our hearts if we're not already in such a way that it can come to mind when we need it. Be meditating on memorizing the Word of God. So with each of these four parts, I want to challenge you. So the first challenge is this. Be devoted to the Word of God. What does that look like for you in 2023 to be devoted to the Word of God? The second part of that verse says this. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship. And the fellowship. So here's my second challenge to you. Be devoted to one another in 2023. Be devoted to the Word and be devoted to one another. Now, if you are a church person, fellowship may sound like a church word, primarily used to describe a building where you can eat in. And uh, there's nothing wrong with describing a, a fellowship hall, if that's what you, you grew up with. But let's just you know, make sure we understand the Bible when it talks about fellowship wasn't just talking about a building. Fellowship uh, is this beautiful um, New Testament word for this bond of common purpose and devotion that binds Christians to one another and to Christ. I like that definition. A bond of common purpose and devotion that binds Christians to one another and to Christ. So we are bonded to Christ. We are in Christ if we are Christians. And if we are in Christ and so are other Christians, we're also bonded all together. Fellowship is about that mutual bond, a deep and unique bond. The thing that unites us as a, as a church is not that we all have the same background, that we all speak the same southern drawl English, or that we all come from a certain socioeconomic status. We don't all vote the same way. We all don't all look the same way. We don't all have the same accent. We don't all have all kinds of other things in common. We don't all cheer for the same college football teams. We don't all cheer. There's all kinds of things that were different about us. The thing that unites us is that we love Jesus. He is our Savior. We are bound to Him. And because of that, we are bound to one another. I, I noticed this the other night at the Ropers. It was so cool to see so many different ages and different groups of people that we were getting together for fellowship. Yes, for fireworks, but as a church, we were coming together, and I loved how different we all are. I, I take it for granted when I see you here, because I usually see you here, but seeing that group, different group of people somewhere else, I'm like, this is the church. We are not bound because we're all, you know, we're all from a certain part of South Carolina or some, somewhere else. 
We are bound together because we love Jesus. And that fellowship is a beautiful gift and it's a great responsibility. Just like reading the Bible doesn't happen by accident, fellowship doesn't happen by accident. It is a gift and it's a responsibility. As we come across the, the uh, as we go through the New Testament, a phrase you come up with, come, come across a lot, is a phrase, one another. At some point in a sermon, I talked about one anothering, it turned it into a verb. You can one another each other. Things like uh, Romans 12:10, love one another with brotherly affection and outdo one another in showing honor. Or Ephesians 4:32, be kind to one another, tender hearted, forgiving one another as God in Christ forgave you. Or 1 John 4:11, beloved, if God so loved us, we ought to love one another. We have a, a, a beautiful gift in a church family. Are we, are we stewarding that gift? As, are we taking that gift as, a, as, as what it is, as a gift, and being generous and being kind toward one another? We need one another. We have logs in our eye and specks in our brother's eye. We need help getting each other's specks and logs out of our eyes. We need to hold each other accountable. We need to build each other up. We need to stir one another up to love and good deeds. We need to sharpen one another as one piece of iron sharpens another. We need one another. If we know how great Christ is, as, as we are bound to Him, we see His holiness. The other thing we see is our weakness, that we are not like that yet. And so we need one another to, to build us up, to, to, to help us, to encourage us along the path. We need one another. And as we are bound to Christ and we see how generous He is toward us, it motivates us to be generous toward other people. They need, other people need us too. We need them and they need us. Do we have the humility from Christ and do we have the generosity from Christ? If we have both of those, we'll recognize that we have a mutual need here. We need one another. We're humble enough to see that and we're generous enough to be there for one another. I'm sure this is true of, of many churches, but I heard it even this morning actually where somebody praised how much of a family we have, how, how great it is to be a group of people who love one another. So keep it up. And be devoted to one another in this year. Let's, again, get very practical. Very practical. What does it look like to be devoted to your church family in a new year? Let me encourage you to make this time a priority in your year. Make coming to worship at 1030 a regular habit of yours. Where this is a regular part of your rhythm. Yes, primarily to give glory to God. God deserves at least an hour of us applauding Him. But the beautiful thing that God has given, like fellowship, when we're bound to Him, when we come to worship Him, we come together and we see one another. And how many different God-ordained moments happen just by seeing each other face-to-face -face week after week, where bonds are made, encouragements are given, we build each other up, we see the hardships, just because you see each other week after week and you're there for one another. Make this a priority. But in addition to, to a 1030 commitment, let me encourage you, if you're not already, to be committed to one other slot in the week that you are planning to regularly gather with other believers. So some kind of discipleship type thing where you're around the Word of God, whether it be 930 Bible study hour or 630 on Wednesdays or one other group that's already going on. Or maybe you want to start a group and we would love to help you be a part of that, helping start some time where you're with other believers. But again, consistency is key. When you're around a smaller group of people week after week, you, you just end up sharing life together. You end up 
bonding with one another and sharing one another's burdens. But again, let me push you just a little step further. It is possible to show up to 9.30 and 10.30 or 10.30 here and 6.30 Wednesday nights and still keep your guard up. So let me push you that as you show up to invest vulnerably in people this year. You know what vulnerability is? It hurts. It's dangerous. It feels, it feels uncomfortable to let people know the hard things that are going on in your life. And it can feel uncomfortable when other people let, let you know the hard things going on in their life. But that's what it looks like to be there for one another. Can you one another each other in 2023? Be devoted to the word and be devoted to one another. How will you, I'm challenging you, how will you be devoted to one another in 2023? Acts 2.42 continues with a third one. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread. So the third part of this verse is an invitation to be devoted to the table. Be devoted to the Lord's Supper. Be devoted to the way we spend our time in worship, taking communion together. Now, when we read the phrase breaking of bread, you may just think of the common practice of just sharing a meal together. And that could have been what, uh, what, the, what Luke, the author of Acts, that could have been what he meant when he said by this. But Luke also, when he records how Jesus initiated the Lord's, what we call the Lord's Supper, that last night before he was crucified, Acts 22, I mean, uh, Luke 22, 19, he says, and he, Jesus, took bread and we had given thanks. He broke it and gave it to them. So in all likelihood, this phrase of breaking of bread was a reference to the Lord's Supper. But even if it's generally bread that they were sharing a whole meal, they probably were doing the Lord's Supper and taking a meal. So all that's my defense of saying, we're talking about the Lord's Supper. You can enjoy fellowship around meals too. That's not against the rules. That's a good thing. But specific to the Lord's Supper, this is worth our focus and our attention. And I'll admit that I, I am... I'm growing to have a, a greater conviction about how important this is in our, our, our church life together of how we celebrate the Lord's Supper. It's one of the things that, that took us a while because of COVID that we had a time off from that and it was weird. And it was one of the things we missed, not having the Lord's Supper together. And so as we, we have, and now for years now, reinstated this, it's just been more on my mind and heart to do this well. For the early church, it's clear that partaking of the Lord's Supper was a very meaningful part of their gathering. They probably did it very often together. And so I intend, and I hope we will as a church, intend to use this to, to, to honor God in how we take the Lord's Supper together. We want our, our liturgy, our reading, to be very meaningful as we lead up to this time in any service. Uh, and, and as we do that, I, I pray that this will be a time where you are preparing your heart to receive this meal, to celebrate Christ's death in our place. That's what we celebrate in the Lord's Supper. It's a very simple and yet powerful because it's tangible way of remembering the most significant event in history. Do you think about that? This is the most important thing that's ever happened is that Christ died. And if you're a Christian, what makes that so significant to you is that He died for you. He died to take away your sins. This meal is a visible reminder of that sacrifice of a body that's been broken of blood that has been shed. It's a reminder of this, the, the cost, the infinite cost of the Son of God's life to pay for your sins. So every time we do this together, I pray it's a time for you to reflect meaningfully on what this means and why it matters. One of the sections I'll read uh, in our, before, the, before we take the Lord's Supper comes from the Heidelberg Catechism and it says this, 
those who should come to the Lord's table are those who are displeased with themselves because of their sins, but who nevertheless trust that their sins are pardoned. That's the heart we should have. It's a heart of, of repentance, of recognizing I don't deserve to be in God's presence, to feel the depth of our sin, and in the very same moment also feel the gratitude that comes when we feel the assurance of our pardon, that we are sinners who have been saved, the, the, the displeased with themselves, and nevertheless the trust that their sins are pardoned, repentant and assured of our forgiveness. So what does that look like practically speaking? Well, we get to take it today. So there you go. One easy step, right? But I, uh, our intention is every couple months or so, we don't do it on an exact schedule, but every few months we'll do this, and we, we try our best to announce it at least a couple weeks in advance. So don't, one, don't miss that Sunday, because you're not going to miss any Sundays, right? I'm just kidding. You can take vacation. I'll take vacation too. Uh, but you're gonna, what we intend for you to come intentionally on this day ready to receive the Lord's Supper. We don't want this to be a surprise to you. We walk in and say, oh, I didn't know we were taking it. We want you to plan ahead, know this is coming, and prepare in the weeks before the Lord's Supper to say, what does it look like for me to repent before the Lord? Envision. This is the practice I want you to envision the moment in the service where you're going to be holding the cup uh, of, of, our, of the juice and the bread and pondering, tangibly pondering Christ's death in our place and thinking about the sins He paid for on the cross that you have committed even in the weeks leading up to taking the Lord's Supper. And as you're holding the elements, waiting for everybody to get it and waiting for us to take it together, Using that time of, uh, of, of waiting as a time of confession, a time of, of repenting before the Lord, of saying, God, I, you died for these sins. You died for these sins, and yet I committed them. Recognizing the depth of our sin. And then as we get the elements, and as we, before we take them, we read a verse like John, uh, 1 John 1, 9. If we confess our sins, He is faithful and just to forgive our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. So in the same time as we're repentant, then we are reminded of the assurance as we're holding the, the visible, tangible way of remembering the death and resurrection of Christ, we're reminded of our forgiveness, of the pardon that we receive. So I challenge you to be devoted to the Lord's table in 2023. What does it look like to, to, to see this time as an important time of worship? Which brings us to the fourth and final part of Acts 2.42. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and the prayers. Be devoted to prayer. Be devoted to prayer. I am not sure I've met many people who've said they are against prayer. Maybe a few here and there, but most people in the room probably, you wouldn't say you're against prayer. But if we're honest, not many of us would claim that we are devoted, at least as devoted as we'd like to be, devoted to prayer. There's no such thing as a bad time to pray. So it's a very good thing that you pray before your meals. It's a very good thing that you pray uh, in times of crisis. It's a very good thing that you pray along with us as we gather to the, to, as, a, as a church family in worship uh, here on Sundays or Wednesdays or whatever else. But when we read that the early church in Acts, one of their defining characteristics is that they were devoted to prayer. I doubt that's a description of them just periodically and sporadically giving a mindless assent to the fact that God's, you know, everywhere. <laughs> devoted has this sense of like, I care a lot and I am focused and I'm paying attention and I'm passionate and it's on the schedule and I'm doing it all the time type thing. Devoted to prayer. 
The word devoted, this, this original word in the Greek, is only used ten times in the New Testament. Five of them are about prayer. Acts, just a, a couple of the references. Uh, Romans 12, 2. Rejoice in hope, be patient in tribulation, be constant. So the ESV says there, same word for devoted. Be constant in prayer. Again, Colossians 4, 2. Continue steadfastly in prayer. Is how it's translated there. Or be devoted to the prayer. Be watchful in it with thanksgiving. Acts 6, 4, the disciples said, We will devote ourselves to prayer and the ministry of the Word. I wonder if you join me in feeling convicted that words like constant, steadfast, devoted, it doesn't feel like a very accurate description of my own prayer life. Do you feel that way? Devoted to prayer? Prayer is our opportunity to commune with the Heavenly Father, the Father who created the whole world, all the universe, all the stars, all the galaxies, all the mountains, all the oceans, that being has opened his ear to you. The one who sent his son to die in your place, to live this incredible life, to teach, to work miracles, to die and to resurrect, that God has given you a direct line, the red phone on your desk, so to speak, directly to God. And many of us leave the phone on the hook. Kids' hook is a, a thing that we used to put your phone on, when you wanted it to, to hang up. So you push the, yeah, anyway. Do you pray? Do you pray? Do you pick up the phone? Push the green button? Do you, do you do that? Or do you just leave it sitting there? Prayer is abiding, communing with God. It's, it's asking for your wants and your needs. It's submitting constantly to God. It's seeking His wisdom in every step and every decision. Prayer is a gift and it's a treasure it's a, 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 a beautiful opportunity to be stewarded. Are we devoted to prayer? Do we want to be devoted to prayer? And if so, let me encourage you very practically in two, two ways, two types of prayer. Scheduled prayer and spontaneous prayer. I just chose those words because they both start with an S. Scheduled prayer and spontaneous prayer. If you never put prayer on your calendar... If it's never a dedicated spot in your plan for your day, it's very unlikely that you will have a, 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 an in-depth, meaningful, significant time of prayer. If prayer is never like just premeditated, then you'll probably be relegated to short prayers, and short prayers are good. But if we can schedule out a time to pray, it gives us an opportunity to be, to be especially mindful of God's presence, especially mindful of God's will, especially prayerful about certain people in our lives, certain things that are happening, ways that we can be consistently praying for the same thing. Have you prayed for something over a long time before and seen God work over a long time? God's timing isn't our timing. We saw that a lot last fall. God, God works in different ways. And if we pray constantly, consistently over time, we can see that at work. If you don't ever schedule prayer, it's probably going to be hard to pray with your spouse or your kids any other time than just mealtime. If it's not scheduled, it probably won't happen. And at the same time, let me, not, let me encourage you not to relegate prayer to only a few minutes at the beginning or end of your day and then never pray in between. <laughs> Let's just do both. It can be a both and, a scheduled prayer and a spontaneous prayer. And probably the more often that you schedule prayer, the, you'll be more likely to be spontaneous in prayer. And the more often you're spontaneous in prayer, the more you'll want to stop and say, I really want to devote some time intentionally to praying for this when I have more opportunity. Pray spontaneously. Pray without ceasing.
Pray as needs and opportunities arise, as God brings people to your mind, as things happen, praying for God's will and God's presence and God's direction in every moment of the day. And then take time to devote intentional moments to praying for God's will, that He would tune our hearts to His. Let God's Word in, come into your life, and may you turn the, that Word back into prayer to Him. Put them together, God's Word and God's prayer. So I challenge you, how will you be devoted to prayer in 2023? I think it would be well worth your time this week to consider prayerfully uh, how these four parts, these four pieces, these four Christian um, traits and activities, what it might look like in your year. It's worth scheduling some time and then spontaneously thinking about it through the week if you want. Be devoted. What does it look like for you to be devoted to the Word, to one another, to the table, and to prayer in the coming year? I know four things is probably a lot for us to keep running in our minds, so it's a memory verse for you to meditate on. But if you've got to simplify it this way, just pray some this week about what does it mean to be devoted to our Lord Jesus Christ. In 2023, what are you most passionate about? What do you focus on? What are your goals? What are your ambitions? What are you trying to accomplish? What are you, what are you trying to do at the end of the year and your job and your family and your career? All these things, those are all good questions to ask. But if we are not devoted to Christ as our top priority, then everything else is going to be a muck anyway. Let's be devoted to Him. Let's, be, let's spend a year, really an eternity, but we'll focus on a year for now. Let's spend a year devoted to Christ. And who knows what He could do? Who knows what He could do if our hearts are actually devoted to, actually passionate about what matters most? Because the reality is we may focus on a diet or work or family or school, and those can be all good things. But if we devote ourselves to Christ, we know, we know deep in our hearts, you know it as I'm saying it, that's what really matters. Because some 2,023 years ago or so, God displayed His devotion to you by sending His Son so that you could know Him. And if we've received Him, if we know Him, then we just know deep in our hearts that it's the right and good and best and joyous thing to be devoted to Him.